just just appreciate your interest in this. Um, I have a favor to ask you. If you can't hear me, will you please let me know? I see you going like this. Um, can you can you turn it up a little bit, Mark? Because I've always had a quiet voice, and I've always had people speak up, to say, "Kathy, speak up." And yesterday, I was in the auditorium, and I think people couldn't hear me. So, this, thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. Okay, I'm Kathy Budney, and I'm the women's biblical counselor at Fellowship Bible Church. I've done that. Um, Sam, look at your shoes. Have you guys seen Sam's shoes? They have toes in them. Sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say, before I was a park, I was a park ranger before I was a counselor, and I knew people that wore shoes like that with toes in them, you know? So <laughs> I'm a real person. Um, hi, come on in. Ooh. So for the next 45 minutes or so, we'll be thinking about bitterness and forgiveness. It's just terrible to think that I, I'm supposed to cover things that people have written books about in 45 minutes. So we're just going to skim the surface of things, and I'm trying to make this as practical as I can. But first, we have a prize to give away. <laughs> this is Forgiven to Forgive, The Christmas of Canceled Debt. This is a sermon series that John Morrison, who's my supervisor, gave a couple Christmases ago. And we're going to have a contest, as you know, the way things have gone the last time. Okay, how many, who here has had a, John told me the questions to ask. <laughs> who here has had a broken parental relationship that has been restored with forgiveness? If you have, raise your hand. Okay, congratulations. That's really good. Now, of the, you three, um, who here has had a relationship with a spouse that involved separation that was restored? No? Okay. Nobody? Well, let's see now. Um, uh, okay, three who had a broken parental relationship. How about... Uh, um, also a broken relationship with a sibling. Okay, so both of you guys. All right, let's see. I'm thinking of a number between one and ten. <laughs> what do you think, Faith? Four? What do you think, Deborah? It's six. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Thanks for being a good sport, Faith. <laughs> there you go. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are good and your loving kindness endures forever. You're good even when we get hurt. Lord, please let us remember that. And thank you that you showed your goodness and love and kindness ultimately when you sent Jesus to earth to live a perfect life, take the punishment for our sins, and rise from the dead. Lord, please give us wisdom into this matter of forgiveness and bitterness and Lord, please give us the desire and ability to forgive those who have hurt us um, and may still be hurting us. Thank you, Lord, and we pray this in the name of Jesus because we know that it's something that Jesus would want us to ask. Amen. Kathy, I already have this. You do? Well, then, Faith, you get it by default. 
<laughs> there you go. Congratulations. <laughs> okay. All right. Why are you here? I'm guessing that you're here for one of three reasons. One is you feel bitter and want to get over in a godly way, or you live with a bitter person and want to know how to deal with it, or you want to know how to biblically counsel somebody who feels bitter. Well, I'll tell you what, if you want to counsel somebody, you can just listen in to the rest of us <laughs> talking about how to live with a bitter person or how to get over bitterness ourselves. Or if you t feel tempted to be bitter, that might be another reason you're here. Uh, I'm thinking, is there anybody in your life that in the past or present that when you think about them, you kind of grit your teeth? <laughs> you don't have to answer that, but I can think of some people. I bet everybody in this room can think of somebody that makes them grit their teeth. Oh, that's the kind of person we're talking about <laughs> your relationship with. Uh, there, in my experience, there are two kinds of bitter people. The first kind are quietly bitter. This would be like Naomi in the Book of Ruth. They're really nice to be around, usually. You know, her, her name was Pleasant. Naomi means pleasant. But then she said, don't call me Pleasant anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. People like that, well, I've got a list here. They kind of come across as kind, gentle, good-humored, and friendly. But when you get to know them, you find out that there's something bitter about them. And when they come to trust you, then they'll start talking about it. And when they trust you and they understand that you know they're bitter, they'll, you'll, it'll come up in your conversations a lot. So then you start to find out that the bitterness is negatively um, influencing their attitudes about other things and it really I don't know when I meet a quietly bitter person I just feel sad for that person just oh, it, you know what I mean they can be um, sarcastic uh, complain worry impatient judgmental have a negative outlook on life um, not give the people the benefit of the doubt and they often refer to how somebody has ruined their life, but it's real specific. If only this hadn't happened, then I would be happy. If only she hadn't done this, I would be happy. But they, so they have kind of a victim attitude. Does this ring true with anybody, is what I'm saying? Okay. Openly bitter people are kind of like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. He, his bitterness was generalized and he was bitter about his brother, but he was also took it out on his father and he was mad and it just, he wasn't a very nice person to be around. And openly bitter people are, are usually don't have too many friends. They, they just kind of, it just spills out of them, their bitterness. Their tone of voice can be irritable, scornful, sarcastic, disrespectful, and condescending. Yuck. <laughs> um, they're critical or intolerant of others, easily offended, and um, you, um, they exaggerate things. For example, suppose you were here at, <laughs> suppose you were here at FBC one night, and uh, it was after a meeting or something like that, and it's, 
getting to be 9.30 and somebody, the, pers the guy who's kind of overseeing says, hey, um, you guys need to be um, leaving now because I have to close up the church. And you go out there and go, he kicked us out, he kicked us out. I mean, that's, the, it's exaggerating, making things, putting things in the worst possible light. So that's not fun. And then sometimes they, they have a martyr attitude. Nobody works as hard as I do. Or um, they begrudge the, other, the good things that others have, jealousy and envy, self-righteous, blame others for problems. They take things personally and get offended. Of course, I'm probably not telling you anything that you don't know, and you're going, oh, yeah, that's like that person I know. Their retaliation takes the form of vengeful anger and criticism and withholding attention, giving you the silent treatment. Um, they keep an offense account, which re means that they can remember a way that you hurt them 20 years ago or 10 years ago or, so, or remember how somebody else hurt th that person a long time ago. And when, when they want to, they withdraw from their offense account and let you know what's in there. So that's not too fun. But you know what? God loves bitter people, just like he loves any of us that are not bitter. God so loved the world, okay? That's like the world, everybody in it, even bitter people. He so loved the world that he gave his only son. So whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Like Paul says, you once walked among them, just like you walked like the Gentiles do, like ungodly people do. God had mercy on us even when we were bitter. And you know what? If, if God had waited for us to ask his forgiveness before he died for us, you know, he never would have died for us. So this is an, ex this is an example of becoming like Jesus when we learn to not hold on to bitterness ourselves and when we learn to live with bitter people. Praise God that he, um, he's the source of true judgment and that he is full of love and mercy and um, it just, it's just really cool to think about <laughs> him in this context. So anyway, does anybody know anything about bulldogs? Anybody know about bulldogs or the reputation of bulldogs? What? Well, first of all, they're not very attractive dogs. Okay. They also have, um, they have hip problems when they get old. Oh, okay. I have a friend who had a bulldog and her husband loved bulldogs. Uh-huh. not like the bulldog. Uh, okay. She did everything she could to chew them away. Not a very pleasant looking dog. No. Thought about the temperament of a bulldog. They're supposed to be real stubborn and stuff like that. One author said, "Resentment is like a bulldog, like one that clenches the teeth of memory onto the dead past and refuses to let go." <laughs> I thought that was kind of cool. So, what's bitterness? I came across some couple definitions here. Anger that has lasted far too long with no Christ-like forgiveness or biblical resolution. Or accumulation of unexpressed anger at hurts, offenses, and or sins with no forgiveness. 
I'd say it's a combination of anger, hatred, pride, and self-pity. And one author called it unfulfilled revenge. It's a lack of trust in God, his goodness, love, sovereignty, holiness, and forgiveness. And then also in the appendix, you'll see a bitterness self-test that was done by Brad Bigney. You might be familiar with Brad Bigney, who's present, he's been on a couple of the videos we've seen. You know, when we're offended, anger is a normal response. It's a normal response. And as a matter of fact, in Ephesians 4, it says, in your anger, don't sin. In other words, hey, Jesus was angry. Remember when he got angry at the hard-heartedness of the Pharisees because they didn't want him to heal somebody on the Sabbath? So it's not a sin to be angry. It's a sin to not hold on to it because uh, Paul wrote, do, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, don't hold on to it. Do not give the devil a foothold into your life. That's what bitterness does, is it gives our enemy a foothold into our life. Isn't that terrible? Gee, it's like saying, hey, come on in. <laughs> the door's open. Mm, not good. So here in number four, this is the main idea. If you don't remember anything else, Christ-like forgiving self-sacrificing love, that's three adjectives, Christ-like, forgiving, and self-sacrificing love is the remedy to healing bitterness in ourselves and also relating to bitter people in a God-pleasing way. So love is the remedy. Doesn't mean people are going to love us back, but it's the remedy. Love, you know, we're talking about agape love here. Agape is a commitment to seek the highest good of another person. That's from Vine's commentary of the Greek. Love, agape love is a commitment to seek the highest good of another person, whether or not you feel like it. <laughs> That's courtesy of another speaker. You do what's right even when you don't feel like it. And that pleases God. Remember, Jesus really was not, did not want to go to the cross. He said, take this cup from me, but not your will, not my will, but your will. So when we do what we don't feel like doing, even though we don't feel like it, that pleases God when we do what's right. Okay, how to deal with bitterness in, in yourself or in someone who wants to change, if you have a friend or a, or a, um, a counselee. First of all, ask for wisdom. Remember in James, uh, James writes, do any of you lack wisdom? Ask God and he'll give it to you generously and without reproof. In other words, God doesn't go, can't you figure that out yourself? Because <laughs> sure, I'll give you wisdom. I know this is tough here. And he, he'll give us wisdom in terms of um, scriptural truth um, and different kinds of enlightenment. You'll just know that it's, if it agrees with scripture, then it's something that God has said. If it doesn't disagree with scripture, then it's not something God has said. But he promises to give us wisdom. Now, uh, let's see, there is a, there's a book that's in the resources, and I believe that's the last page. Yeah, there is a book by, 
let's see, Putting Your Past in Your Place by Stephen Byers. He wrote a good book that helps a person to analyze one's past. He says, make a chart or just make a list. There are four possibilities in terms of sin or being sinned against and how we respond. One is the innocent past. Okay, you were sinned against. It wasn't your fault. You were sinned against and you responded in the right way. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He responded in the right way. Another way is when you were sinned against, but you responded in the wrong way. And there you go, bitterness. You know, it's, it's one of the principles of counseling in life, that if we're sinned against, we tend to sin in response. That's <laughs> our default thing. And if you, if you ever had arguments with your siblings when you were growing up, you know what it's like. You hit me, well you hit me first. <laughs> you know, we're going back and forth on this. So we can respond correctly when we're sinned against, or we can respond incorrectly or sinfully. Another possibility is when you sinned, when I sinned, but we responded correctly. We came back with acknowledging I was wrong. I'm, you know, I, I, please forgive me because I was out of line, and that was a, um, it's just a, a wrong thing to do. That's when I would sin but I would respond as God would want me to. Jesus, um, let's see, John wrote, when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we, hey, the apostle John was like Jesus' best friend and he said, we all sin, so welcome to the human race when we sin. But that's how we, um, respond rightly to God and other people is when we confess it. And then there's the um, other one about when you sin against somebody and you continued in a sinful worldly way. That's, um, that's a good way to, ex those four things are a good way to examine your past and think about, okay, when did I do it right and please God? When did I not do it right and I need to make a change? Then another thing to deal with bitterness is you need to consider whether the things you feel bitter about were actually sins against you. Sometimes people sin against or people sin against us and yes, we have to deal with it. When if somebody does something against us that the Bible says not to do or that God says not to do, then you've you've been biblically offended, okay? Uh, you have um, you have to deal with your forgiveness, but you've been biblically offended. Or if somebody sinned against you, then the Bible says to go to that person, if possible, and confront that person with their sin. Now, in Matthew 18, Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, that means if it's, if it's another believer, Love, unity. God wants us to have unity in the body of Christ. Here we are, all believers. If somebody else is a Christian, we're supposed to live together in unity because that's how the world will know we're Jesus' disciples, is if we love one another. If a person's not a Christian, then you might not get a chance to do that. If somebody's dead, <laughs> you can't do that. But if... Um, 
there's a difference between if someone sins against you and if they do not sin against you and you still get offended. If someone doesn't live up to your expectations, that's not a sin. In fact, we shouldn't really be upset at things that God doesn't get upset about. If doesn't, somebody doesn't live up to our expectations, God you know, didn't sin, that's kind of our problem. And we need to um, not only, re we need to repent of our bitterness and also forgive that person in our heart. We don't need to go up to somebody and say, well, you know, you hurt my feelings, so um, well, you better better ask my forgiveness. No, it's you hurt my feelings, so I need to work on my attitude. If somebody disappoints you, doesn't give you what you want, um, you say something stupid, <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> you know, how many, has anybody in here never said something stupid to somebody? <laughs> okay, welcome to the human race again. You know, so when somebody says something stupid to you, you know, I've said stupid things to people before too, <laughs> and you just, just have to let it go. Yes. Yes. You need to confess your pride to God. You don't have to express your pride to another person. It's just between you and God. If somebody offends you in a non-biblical, in a, in, and it wasn't a sin, you don't have to go to that person necessarily. You first have to work in yourself to be sure that um, your attitude is loving and generous and gives people the benefit of the doubt, just like Jesus does to us. He's our example. Does that make sense? Because really, does anybody here in the name that sin thing that I did yesterday? Yeah. We tried to give biblical names to sin, like, I don't care what my dad says, I'm going to go and go meet my friend at the bar anyway, or the movie. Okay, that's rebellion. Well, really, we could have filled in all those blanks with pride, 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 because pride is really the root of, of just about every sin you can think of. I want what I want. So um, if we're offended by someone who doesn't sin against us but hurts our feelings, it's important to realize, okay, it's my problem. I need to repent of my pride. Does that make sense? No? Okay, right. So if you look over on page five, six, seven, and eight, I wrote down some scripture verses here that have to do with offenses, uh, bitterness, confession, forgiveness, and love. And I'd just like to point out a couple of them. On this first page five, um, John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. <laughs> Jesus said, no matter who you are, you're going to have problems. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Isn't that something? Okay, folks, you're going to go out there, he's saying, and it's, you're going to get hurt. But I have overcome the world. In other words, Jesus is the victor. 
He's the one that can take care of the vengeance. He's the one who can give us love. And he's the one that can work for good in all those situations to make us more like Jesus. That's, that's really important to keep in mind. Okay, Jesus, I'm going to get hurt, but God's going to use these things he's in, for good in my life to make me more like Jesus. If um, right down the middle of the page it says the epistle of 1 Peter addresses living with offensive people. I just went through a rough situation and I, I just I read through the book of 1 Peter and it was so helpful to give you an attitude of when you're sinned against, what's your attitude? What should it be like? I, um, it was just very helpful. Okay, turning over to bitterness. Look at this first one in the Old Testament. Leviticus 19, 17 through 18. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. Wow, look at that. We, we tend to sin in response to being sinned against. There it is in Leviticus. Um, don't hate your brother in your heart, but reason with him. Like Jesus said, go talk with your brother. Um, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's the verse that Jesus quoted when somebody asked him about what are, what's the most important commandment. So there it is from the Old Testament. Luke 15, 15 through 30. Here's the older brother's response. It's just, <laughs> it's just one of those openly bitter people. The brother was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father's. Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a goat that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Doesn't that sound bitter? <laughs> okay. Let's see. Hebrews 12, 14 through 15. Down there, second from the bottom, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Grace of God is God's riches at Christ's expense. We forgive because God's been gracious to us so we can forgive others. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. A couple of years ago, <laughs> I gave a talk on repentance, no, uh, resentment and bitterness. How many of you guys have ever tried to dig up a dandelion? <laughs> okay, their roots go way down and you try to pull that out and after a while it comes back and if you don't do it, it defiles everybody else's yard because, <laughs> you know, those little things. So I think of dandelions when I think of a root of bitterness. They're hard to pull out. And if you let them go, they spread all over the place. Uh, confession of bitterness. 1 John 1, 8 through 2, 2 is such a great verse. We all sin, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's on the basis of what Jesus did because he died for the sins of the whole world not just mine, but also for the person who's treating me with bitterness, also for me when I feel bitter. 
And then the last verses are on forgiveness and love. And I tried to find verses where both forgiveness and love are mentioned in the same, the same passage. There's a lot of them. You know, I, you could preach a sermon in any one of those. But if you look down on page 8, Here's something from 1 Peter 3.9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Our purpose in life is to bless other people and serve other people. And um, if somebody sins against us, we can fight back, but we have to fight back with God's tools, which is blessing. Okay. You know, the ways that we sin, that other people sin against us, are minuscule. Minuscule compared to what Jesus has forgiven us of and what, what he's, um, the way that God's been sinned against. This is something that we take for granted. Uh, oh yeah, Jesus died for my sins. Jesus died for everyone's sins. And if you think about how many millions of people there have been in the world, billions of people in the world, and just suppose everybody sins 10 times a day, one billion times 10 <laughs> times a whole lifetime, that's a lot of sins. God understands what it means to forgive. If I were in a counseling session, I would have a counselee read Isaiah 53. But I'm going to, I've asked Ben Adams to read it. I'm going to give him the microphone here to just give you an idea, a little insight into what it's like that Jesus bore our, Jesus bore our sins. Do you want me to just hold this or something? This is Ben Adams. Isaiah 53, who has believed what they heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who has considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living? stricken for the transgression of my people. 
and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Did that make you think, wow, wow, that's what Jesus did for us, wow. So um, when we can't forgive people in our own power, it's not in our human fleshly nature to forgive people. People might never ask us for forgiveness. They might would probably justify their sin or their wrong or not even see it as sin. You can, however, you can forgive that person in your heart. You can forgive it and that person, if that person's a Christian or not a Christian, you can forgive that person in your heart and decide that you're not gonna hold the offense against that person. There was one writer that said, you. You have to forgive the debt, but you don't have to loan any more money. <laughs> In other words, it, you don't, just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean you have to trust that person again. Forgiveness is one thing, is given. Reconciliation is another thing that takes time. Now, if somebody wants to reconcile with you and um, asks your forgiveness, then God wants you to reconcile. But if, um, if that doesn't happen, you don't want to hold the offense against them, but you don't have to, uh, you know, especially abuse. You know, if a person is an unrepentant abuser, uh, you don't have to be in an elevator with that person again, okay? Um, this last bullet point on page two, this is from the peacemakers. Forgiveness is a decision and a promise that you will not, A, this is what forgiveness means. A, you won't think about the past offenses. And if they come into your brain, you'll think about something else, or pray, or sing a hymn, or something like that. B, bring up past offenses to use against people who have hurt you. This is, you don't have an offense account. C, you don't talk to others about others' past offenses to you, unless it's a counselor, you can do that. <laughs> or. D, allow past offenses to hinder future relationships. That is kind of the definition of forgiveness. I realize that some of you have been sinned against in horrendous ways and things that I 
in my strength, I would never understand because it was you. But these are, um, and I know that this is touching the surface lightly. We could go to a whole week conference on forgiveness and still not cover everything. And that was difficult for me um, to narrow this down. But these are just general principles. If you have any, uh, any questions, there are excellent books back here that I've recommended. Um, you can email me. Let me give you my email address. And if you have any questions, it's K-A-T-H-Y, like my name, and then B, like Budney. And then it's at F-B-C-V-A, like Fellowship Bible Church of Virginia, dot org, O-R-G. Okay, Kathy B, K-A-T-H-Y-B at F-B-C-V-A dot org. Now, page three, living with bitter people who won't see their bitterness. Welcome to the suffering, all right? First, you can choose to suffer in a Christ-like way. And again, First Peter is so good at, at that. Resist the temptation to sin in response to being sinned against. Uh, possible sins could be being sarcastic, hostile, nagging, withdrawing, shutting out the person. Uh, but you don't want to also allow the bitter person to dictate your life or tell you what to do or control you. Learning Learning to persevere is one of the benefits of suffering. It's interesting that those three verses that I mentioned, Romans 5, 1 through 5, Galatians 6, 9, and James 1, 2 through 4, and 12, all mention perseverance and not giving up in connection with suffering. And then trust God in his loving sovereignty. Look for his blessings in your life experiences. Also, you want to show the bitter person, practical, unselfish love. You cannot change the person. Only God can do that. Again, agape love is looking for their best, seeking their highest good, being kind. And you want to serve them and bless them, not in order to manipulate the person, but also in order to please God. You can overcome evil with good and model God's goodness, mercy, Pray for the person as you would want someone to pray for you. Don't expect support or sympathy from the person. But if that person does support you, be sure to say thank you. <laughs> well, thanks for that. <laughs> no, <laughs> sincere thanks. <laughs> and don't become bitter about the other person's bitterness and spend time with God. So Christ-like, forgiving, self-sacrificing love is the remedy to healing bitterness in ourselves and relating to bitter people in a God-pleasing way. That's the thing to remember. Now, we have about five minutes left. And this thing, and by the way, this is something, this is a series of verses that I've gone through with a lot of counselees, and it really tends to give people hope because it gives us in God's perspective on our trials. I'm just going to go through these briefly, but I really wanted to show this to you because it's such, it's, it really has helped a lot of people. 
2 Corinthians 5, 9, our goal in life is to please God. Paul wrote that. Our ambition is to please God. So whatever we do, would this please God? Yes, then I'll do it. I had it one constantly. That's all I needed to tell her. Oh, okay. My goal in life is to please God. That answers a lot of my questions. There you go. It was great. Hebrews 11, 1 through, and 6, um, no, we please God by having faith in him, by trusting him to do what he has promised to do, and he'll reward us for our faithful obedience to him. You must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Okay, you have seen this next verse a lot in this conference, I imagine. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Then the rest of the sentence, for those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. Hey, we're his brothers and sisters. God's purpose in anything is, is to make us more like Jesus, even bad things he can use to make us more like Jesus. Did Jesus suffer? Yes, a lot more than we will. But God has a purpose in our suffering. He has a good purpose. He can, he's so cool. He could just take bad things and turn them around so you go, all right, that wasn't what I would have chosen, but God really did a good thing in my life because of it. Romans 8, 31 through 39, you know that passage. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Nothing in the past, future, present, uh, anything. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, I find this really helpful. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And a lot of times I'll ask counselors, okay, this thing that you're going through, which of these qualities is God working on? And I've never had anybody say none of them. They go, well, I'm learning to be patient. <laughs> and that's you know, that's, those are qualities that Jesus had. So when God's using those in our, making us, forming those in our lives, he's making us more like Jesus. And it's nice to be able to pick out some. Yeah. And then finally, Ephesians 1, 1 through 10. Do you know that we're a bunch of saints in this room? Your primary identity with God is as a saint. Paul started the letter to the Ephesians by saying, to the saints in Ephesus. And then later he says, those who are stealing must steal no more. Oh, wait a minute. Somebody who steals is a saint? Yes, because we've been forgiven. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were still sinners, we were sinners, we sin, but our identity isn't as a sinner anymore. Our identity is as a saint. We're saints who sin. But isn't that good to know that you're a saint. I like to think of as your place card at the banquet hall in heaven is already there, just waiting for you to come and sit down. Isn't that cool? You've already got a place card at your place at the banquet in heaven. So that's about 10.30. If um, I don't, don't want to keep you, but let me pray. And then if anybody has questions, please feel free to email me. Again, please. Forgive me for seeming if I'm just being blithe, you know, just like passing things off because I know that the reason you're here is because you're struggling or you're 
know somebody who's struggling with bitterness, and it's a terrible thing. So um, this is just a, a start to it. I'm going to pray now. Lord, you know all our hurts. You know everything. You know that there have been times when we were just walking along in life, happy and innocent, and, and we were sinned against. And it changed us. And Lord, you know there are times when um, we saw it coming, and it came. And we tried to avert the problem, and it just kept coming. And we're, there, there, some of us see that there's still a problem, and we just don't know what to do with this bitterness in ourselves or this bitterness in someone else that we have to be associated with. Lord, it's, it's tough, and um, I don't want to make light of that because I know you don't. But Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom to know how, from your word to know how to deal with people who hurt us. I pray that we would not become bitter and give a foothold to the enemy in our lives. And Lord, I pray that we would love, seek the highest good for the people who have hurt us. Give us wisdom in knowing what that is. I pray that you would give us your ability to bless them. And Lord, if there's another <clears throat> believer who, who we're at odds with. Oh, Father, the enemy uses those offenses between brothers and sisters in you to tear apart things. Lord, I've seen it, and it's just, it's just awful. Lord, please bring about healing between people, between us and the people who are our brothers and sisters in you. We know that's possible because it's your will. Lord, thank you so much that you are the victor over life and you've overcome the world and you love us and nothing can separate us from our lo your love. It's ours in Christ Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>